Amen. Our message, Living to Die and Dying to Live, is one that will teach us how we can start life over again. How we can have a fresh start, a clean slate, and a brand new beginning with God. Friends, I want you to notice as we turn in our Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, that the, one of the first things the Bible tells us about God is that our God is a God of beautiful beginnings. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it tells us, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. My friends, these are powerful words. The Bible here tells us that our God is not a God of destruction. He's a God of creation. He's a God that created light when there was nothing but darkness. He created order from chaos. He created fullness when there was a void. And he did it by the power of his spoken word. God spoke and it happened. For God's word has creative power. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. For by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And God was not dependent upon pre-existing matter to create. He created something from absolutely nothing. The world was dark. It was empty. It was void. And God created something beautiful from that chaos, from that darkness, from that void. And friends, what we read here that God did when he created the world, he actually wants to repeat in the heart of every person. For the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined where? In our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, God commanded light to shine from darkness when he created the world. And the Apostle Paul makes the personal application that that same God, that same creator, wants to repeat that same marvelous work in the hearts of each and every one of us. Why? Because just like how this world was before the Spirit of God came and moved upon the face of the waters, just like how this world was before God spoke light and life into existence, so too is our hearts. The Bible said that the world was without form. It was void, and it was dark. And that is a fit description of every single human heart without God. Our hearts is chaos. There's a void. There's an emptiness. There's nothing but darkness. But thank God that when we let God speak his words of truth into our hearts and minds, the same God that created a beautiful world, a perfect world in the beginning, wants to do that in our brokenness and in our darkness tonight. Amen? He is the God of creation and the God of recreation. Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that he has made everything what? Beautiful in its time. He has also put what? Eternity in their hearts. My friends, God does not make junk. 
He's a beautiful God that makes beautiful things. He does it by the power of his spoken word. When God spoke, he created, and it was good. Everything was good. Why? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when God created this world by his word, that was an expression of his heart. And what he made was good. Why? Because God is good. What he made was beautiful. Why? Because God is beautiful. What he made was bright because God is the light. And he wants to do that for us. But the Bible tells us here that when God made us, he put eternity in our hearts. What exactly does that mean? Well, it's a deep truth, friends. It means simply this, that deeply implanted within the nature of man's existence is an eternal space, eternity in our hearts. An eternal space, a space that can only be filled by one who is eternal in nature. The simple way to say it, friends, is that there is a God-shaped hole in every human heart. When God made humanity, he made us for fellowship with him. And that's why he created us with eternity in our hearts. Our hearts. Recognize, friends, that whether we acknowledge it or not, in every single human heart, deep down within us, is an ex inexpressible longing, a yearning, a desire for something more than what this world can offer, something more lasting and enduring, something more satisfying and fulfilling, but many times we either try to pacify that longing in our hearts with the pleasures of sin or we ignore that longing by being busy in things that don't really satisfy. But the pleasures of sin are shallow and short-lived because it's not eternal. It can never fulfill the eternal space. And so it leaves us thirsting for more. I like what that famous Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis said in describing this reality. He said this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that what I was made for another world. And that's the truth, friends. In every heart, there's longings, there's desires, but nothing in this world can satisfy it. Only an eternal God can fill an eternal space. And the very existence of those desires, those longings, those yearnings shows that we were not made for this world. We were made for something better. We were created to live for something more than just the nine to five job of clocking in and clocking out. We were created to live for something more than the daily routine of life, more than the status quo and the ordinary and the typical and the common. We were created to live for something more than these things, something that is bigger than ourselves. You see, sin will stimulate you, but it will never satisfy you. It will occupy you for a period of time, but not for eternity. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only he can fill that eternal space in every human heart. And so, my brother and my sister, if you've not accepted Jesus fully into your life, let me tell you, there's something missing in your life. There's a void there. Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that if you can have a certain kind of relationship or a certain kind of job or a certain kind of a number in your bank account, that somehow that will satisfy that eternal space. Nothing but an eternal God can fill an eternal space. And by the way, 
You know, it's hard for those who have it all to recognize this, but they are. If the things of this world could fulfill and satisfy and fill that eternal space, then the Hollywood stars ought to be the happiest people on earth. But many of them are depressed and lonely. Many of them are addicted to drugs and alcohol. You find broken relationships with these stars, these movie stars and sports stars and and music stars. It seems like they have it all. And yet there's that eternal space that can never be satisfied. My friends, no matter how good you think you are, we've all made mistakes. We've all made decisions we wish we could undo. Spoken words we wish we could take take back. Wasted time and missed opportunities, neglected duties and broken promises and the regrets of our past sometimes keep us from living in the present and moving forward to the future that God has for us. And you know, sometimes we, 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 we think about the wrongs done and the mistakes that have been made and we wish we could go back in time to undo those things, but time will not permit us to go back. What is done is done. But here's the good news, friends. While we can't change our past, we can give it to Jesus. And I want you to notice the glorious promise what the Lord tells us he will do with our past. One of my favorite promises in the Bible is Joel 2 verse 25 where God says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Oh, this is a beautiful promise. In an agricultural society, one of the most devastating things that could happen to a farmer was to be invaded by a swarm of locusts. For years of hard work and labor could be consumed in moments. And that is a fit description of the lives that we have lived without God. A life of wasted time, wasted influence, wasted money. But God says, everything that the enemy has stolen from you, has the devil stolen innocence from you? Has he stolen relationships? Stolen your health? Your finances? Your energy, God says, I will restore it. He is the God of restoration. Amen? He is the God that restores those who are broken. He mends that which has been torn. And I love this promise because I've experienced the reality of it firsthand in my life. Oh, let me tell you just briefly the story about my life. My experience is one of Wasted years and wasted time and wasted mind, but restored by the grace of God. You see, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. My parents were not Christians. They got together. I was conceived out of wedlock, and my young mother, who was pregnant with me, soon-to-be mother, she felt so shame. She felt so guilty for getting pregnant and yet not being married so much so that she was tempted to have an abortion even tempted to commit suicide you see the devil tried to destroy me even before i came into this world but god prevailed and i'm here today amen this is a picture of my parents they were never married they were separated most of my life and it was a dysfunctional home growing up i had no spiritual guidance I didn't know what was God or who was God, and there was a darkness, there was a void, there was chaos in our lives. 
And I knew that my parents loved me, but it seemed like they hated each other. And so sometimes I would live with dad, and other times I would live with mom, and I would go back and forth in the midst of this dysfunction and in this confusion. And as a result of not having a spiritual foundation, I started making terrible decisions at a young age. I started smoking in elementary school. I became a compulsive liar and a compulsive thief, breaking into people's homes, burglarizing and stealing marijuana plants from my neighbor's yards when I was in fifth grade. This was me when I was in fifth grade. Don't I look innocent? But this hat says it all, right? <laughs> the first time I was arrested right there, fifth grade, for going on a shoplifting spree, for running away from home. My life was heading down the path to nowhere. I didn't know who God was. Totally ignorant of these things. And when I went to high school, things only got worse. I went to high school simply to get high. That's why they call it high school, right? <laughs> and that was me, 16 years old, burning up my brain cells and chasing the world. I was stimulated, but I wasn't satisfied. I was a slave to sinful pleasures, held captive by my lust for getting high and fooling around and having fun. Wasting my influence and wasting my time, causing my parents so much pain. And during this time, I was living with my mom, and as a single parent, she was trying her best to steer me in the right direction, but she didn't know God. She couldn't give what she didn't have. And I remember sometimes I would invite my friends over after, after my mom worked all night long as a nurse. She would come home in the morning and sleep half the day. And while she's in one bedroom sleeping, I'm in the next bedroom. I'd invite all my friends to come over and we'd lock the door and put the towel on the bottom of the door and light up the incense and would have a smoking session right next door to the room that my mom was sleeping in. And she didn't realize the things I was involved in. My life was heading down the path to nowhere. I caused my mom so much pain, so much worry. But around this time period, my mother and I were watching television when we saw an advertisement on the TV for a Bible prophecy seminar. Have you ever heard of anything like that before? She was interested and she said, do you want to go to that? I said, no, I don't want to go to that. I wasn't interested. But she brought me to those meetings. We drove about an hour almost every day to the meetings back at home in Hawaii. And this was our first experience really going to church. And the message made sense. It was logical. We heard things that we'd never heard before and it made logical sense. And to make a long story longer, at the end of those meetings, my mother and I were baptized. Oh, but don't say amen too quickly. Because when I was baptized that first time, I went into the water a dry devil, but I came up out of the water a wet devil. <laughs> there was no change in my life. I had received information, but not transformation. I believed intellectually that what was being taught was the truth. And I thought that just because of my intellectual belief that that somehow covers. I didn't know what true belief was. I started going to church, but I was not truly walking with the Lord. And we started going to church every Sabbath. But I was still a slave to smoking weed. 
But I would rationalize it away. Some of you heard this before. I would say, you know, I'm not going to touch the chemical stuff, just the natural stuff. Because when I go, when I get high, I can go deep and understand spiritual things and spiritualize and philosophize. And, and I would even go back to my old public high school and I would uh, try to share with my friends what I had learned at that seminar. And they would look at me and say, oh, you're, you go to church now? Well, why are you still smoking weed? And I would tell them, because the Bible says in Genesis 1 that God has given to man every herb yielding seed. And so I was twisting the word of God to do what I wanted to do. But really, I was burning up my brain cells and wasting my life and hurting my witness. I was going to church, but I wasn't walking with Jesus. I was a lukewarm Christian, half-hearted, double-minded, trying to hold on to God with one hand and hold on to the things of the world with the other hand. And I was lost, but I didn't realize it. I would go to church high sometimes, sinning in the very presence of of God. And I was so deceived that one morning I was reading the Bible. I had the Bible in one hand and I had the glass pipe in the other hand. I was getting high and reading the Bible at the same time. And as I was reading page after page after page, I realized that I was not retaining or understanding what I was reading. And in that moment, it was as if God was saying to me, Taj, who are you fooling? What makes you think you could have me in the world at the same time? It's either one or the other. It's either the weed of death or the word of life. For Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. It's either one or the other. It's either we're going to be saved or we're going to be lost, friends. There is no neutrality in spirituality. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. And listen, friends, if you are almost saved, you are still completely lost. And what a tragedy to be almost saved. Almost Lost in the church. Lost in the presence of the Lord. But I was a slave. Not only to that, to that, the obvious thing, but many other things. I didn't know how to get loose, to break free. But God began to awaken me to that empty space with him. And I realized that, yes, I was having fun, getting high and partying and feeling comfortable that I knew the truth intellectually. Even though I knew the truth and I was having fun in the world, God began to see that that, that space wasn't filled. There was something missing. There was a void. And so God sent two young people to come knock on my door. And they invited me to another Bible prophecy seminar. Thank God he's a God of second chances. And I went to those meetings. Here's a picture of the evangelist with the team during those meetings. And and when I went there, there was a theme song that was sung night after night. The song that was sung was the song, Change My Heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. And as I sat there night after night listening to the message of the Bible and listening to that song, I realized that that's what was missing. I had understood in my mind, but my heart was in change. And what I really needed was heart transformation, a heart experience, more than a head knowledge. You know, some of you have been going to church all your life, but that's all it is, head knowledge. But friends, it's a heart experience that will really bring transformation. That's what I was missing. And I continued to go to those meetings night after night after night. And there was a war taking place in my mind. I was still addicted. 
held in captivity by my lusts. But I was drawn to the meetings and I continued to come even though I was messed up. My friends, listen, it doesn't matter how you come. What matters is that you come. Just come. It doesn't matter what baggage you bring. You come. For Jesus promised, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Bible says, come now. Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so I continued to come, even though it was a war, even though I did not feel worthy, even though I was addicted to these things, I still came. And night after night, God began to change me and convict me. And I remember sitting in the pews, being so convicted, the power of the word was so penetrating, so profound. It was as if God was saying to me, Taj, one day you're going to be standing where that man is standing. One day you're going to be doing what he's doing. My heart felt a call from the Lord. But I still hadn't chosen him as my Savior yet. But he was choosing me. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I remember one night the evangelist was making the invitation for people to come to the altar and kneel in repentance and in a decision for baptism. And people started coming to the front and I wanted to come, but, but the devil was whispering in my ear telling me, well, if you give your life to Jesus, that means you can no longer do this, you can no longer do that. Your life is going to be so boring. If you give your life to Jesus, what are your friends going to think? They're going to think you're weak. And all of these, other, these reasons, the devil was whispering why I should not make a decision. But at the same time, God was calling Come, my son, I have something better for you. And I found the strength to stand, to come, and I came to the front. I knelt down, and I was weeping, and I said, God, if you're there, if you're real, if you truly have a, a plan for me, then I want to follow your way. I want to be saved, Lord, but I realize that I can't serve you and, and continue to hold on to these things in my life, so I need you to free me from these addictions. Take away the desire for it so that I no longer want it, Lord. I, I, I can't help myself. Please help me. And when I prayed sincerely with all my heart and loosened my grip from those things, God took it from me. It didn't take a week, not even a few days. Instantly, the Lord made me free that very night. And he filled me with a joy and a peace and a fulfillment. That empty space now was being filled with the eternal one. And I'd never experienced a high quite like it. It was a spiritual high. It was the most high the Lord Jesus. And friends, after that, you know what happened? God began to restore the years that the locusts had eaten. I was baptized shortly after that. There's me getting baptized the second time, and now you can say amen. <laughs> because that second baptism was really the first real baptism. You see, the first baptism, I just, I just went swimming with the pastor. But that second baptism was really the first real one. That's when I truly gave my life to Jesus. I said, God, I'm giving you everything. And the song that kept going through my mind besides change my heart, oh God, was the song, I Surrender All. In fact, I remember sitting in the pews, opening the hymnal, and writing the words of that hymn in my Bible. That was my prayer. That was my desire. I surrender all to thee, my blessed Savior. And God, my friends, began to restore the years that the locusts had eaten. He began to restore those burnt brain cells. As I feasted upon the word, God gave me knowledge and understanding, and he gave me the opportunity to share with others. And I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old, shortly after getting baptized. And you should have heard that first sermon. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> 
But I was excited and I had experience with the Lord and God was using me and my influence that had been wasted now was being restored. I went back to my old public high school and I would pass out Steps to Christ, spiritual books to my classmates that I used to get high with. And they would see me before they would see me with, you know, with a hat hiding my face and walking around with a big t-shirt with a marijuana leaf on it. And, and, but now they saw me walking around with a Bible and I would invite people. I would hold Bible studies every lunch period in that public high school. I would invite the whole school to come leading out in these Bible studies. Now, no one taught me how to do it. No one told me to do it. I just had a burden for my friends to experience what I experienced. And as a result of those Bible studies, six of my friends and their family members were baptized too. You know what those Bible studies were based on? The notes I took at the Bible Prophecy Seminar. You guys been taking notes? You're ready to give Bible studies now. And God blessed. My friends would try to tempt me. I would say, oh, oh no thanks, I found a better high. And God was using me in a mighty way. He was restoring the years that the locusts had eaten. Not only that, but he began to restore the broken relationships of my life. After 16 years of living in dysfunction, my mom and dad separated and almost hating each other. The Lord got a hold of my mom, and as a result, my mom and dad actually got back together, and they actually got married for the first time. And then a few years after they got married, and after 19 years of being the only child, here comes baby brother. <laughs> it was an overwhelming surprise. <laughs> same mom, same dad, 19 years apart. And the Lord blessed. My friends, if you have, if you're in the midst of a broken relationship, God can heal it if you'll let it. He is the God of restoration. Not only that, but the Lord allowed me to find true love in him. But then he also blessed me with my Polynesian princess. We've been married for the last 13 years, going on 14 this year, and we're a team in ministry. God has taken us all over the place, all over the world, really. Africa and Asia and Europe, the Pacific Islands, sharing the message of Christ, sharing our story, sharing the truths of the Bible. And the Lord has allowed us to see so many people come to him. Families being restored and young people getting on fire and the chains of addiction breaking. And uh, who would have thought that God would use a local boy from the small, tiny island of Hawaii to, to do a work for him. But friends, nothing special with me. I'm just a beggar trying to share some bread. Jesus gets all the glory. Amen. And listen, if God can use me, he can use anybody. I was the least likely candidate to preach. I'm shy. I'm an I'm introvert. I grew up as the only child most of my life. I didn't have to talk to anybody. And I had a stuttering problem and... You know, my English was very bad. You know, in Hawaii, we speak a different language there. And to be honest, English is my second language. My first language is broken English. <laughs> That's what we speak in Hawaii. It's called pidgin. Uh, what that means is we take a paragraph and we can summarize it and just say it in one sentence. We take a sentence, we say it in two words. We take two words and we say it with our eyebrows. So I was the least likely candidate to preach. But friends, if God can use me, he can use anyone. Let me tell you quickly, one of the, my favorite stories, when we first started doing these meetings in 2007, one of my first meetings was in San Francisco. 
I had been a Christian eight years up to that point, and I was on fire for the Lord. And during that time, my grandparents were separated. It's the story of another broken relationship. Grandma was living in Hawaii, and Grandpa was staying in California with one of my aunties in San Francisco. Grandpa had done some things that hurt Grandma. Grandma, that hurt turned to bitterness, anger, and resentment, and there was animosity, brokenness. And when we held those meetings in 2007, my grandpa came to the meetings. He, he wasn't interested in the Bible. He just wanted to hear his grandson stand up and talk in front of people. And he, when he came the first night, I was so happy. I thought he'd only come once. But then he came the second night. Then he came the third, the fourth, the fifth. He started coming every night. He even came on a night when we didn't have a meeting. <laughs> he showed up by himself on the night off. And he was coming alive spiritually, and I, I was so thankful. My first family member to come to the meetings, and we came to the topic during that seminar about the God of new beginnings, the God that can restore the years that the locusts have eaten, the God that can restore relationships. And I made an invitation for people to come to the front to give their hearts fully to Jesus in baptism. And friends, it was one of the greatest joys of my life to see Grandpa stand up and come to the altar giving his life to Jesus. Amen. And at the end of those meetings, I was able to hold my grand that grandfather that was there and held me when I was a baby and there when I graduated from high school, that patriarch of the family that was there all my life, I was able to hold him in the waters of baptism as he started life over again. I like to say he held me when I was born, but I held him when he was born again. Who would have thought, friends, that God would use the third generation to reach the first? But that's what Jesus can do. Restoring broken relationships. Grandpa gave his heart to Jesus. Oh, I was so happy. Now his number one goal is to reconcile with Grandma. And so he goes and shares. He apologizes. He does everything he can to demonstrate to Grandma that he's a changed man. But Grandma won't believe. Grandma is a slave to bitterness and resentment. And she, would, she continued to rub his past mistakes in his face. But we continue to pray. And continue to demonstrate. Two years go by and God allowed me to go back home to Hawaii to do my first meeting in Hawaii. In that same church that I was changed in 10 years before, God brought me full circle in 10 years. And now I stood before that same church in my same community. And during that time, both grandma and grandpa were in Hawaii. So because it was close by, grandpa brought grandma to the meetings. And she came not because she was interested in the Bible. She came because she was forced. She was guilt tripped. You know, your grandson is speaking. You need to go and support your grandson. <laughs> and she came grudgingly. She didn't like it. She didn't want She would rather be home. She came, but she sat way in the back. The very last pew, the farthest away she could be is where she sat. And I was so grateful that she was there. I would preach my heart out every single night. And at the end, I would greet people at the door and I would hug my grandma. Grandma, thank you for coming. I love you. I'm so grateful you're here. But every night I would look into her eyes and her face and it was stone cold, emotionless, no conviction. Her heart was hard like a rock. I would go home and pray for her, come the next day, preach my heart out. But night after night, it seemed like nothing was penetrating. Nothing was breaking through. And then we came to the topic about the God of new beginnings. 
the God that can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I'd made an invitation for people to come to give their life to Jesus in baptism. And 60 people came to the altar that night. And it was beautiful. I was praising God as I saw the people coming. And I was saying, thank you, God, until I saw my grandma way in the back, sitting there. She wasn't moving. And I said to myself, Lord, I'm happy for these who are coming. But what about my grandma? What about my own flesh and blood? She needs this, Lord. Give her the courage. But she would not move. She sat there. And so I continued to call. I continued to invite. And I went on and on and on and on. <laughs> and finally, after about 10 minutes, it was one of the great joys of my life to see my grandma way in the back stand up and walk down the aisle giving her life to Jesus. She walked down the aisle by herself like a, like a bride Walking down the aisle to meet her husband, my grandma came to meet Jesus. And at the end of those meetings, I had the privilege of baptizing grandma as she received freedom from her bitterness. And around this time period was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And because of what Jesus was doing in their hearts, guess what they wanted to do for their 50th wedding anniversary? They wanted to renew their vows. And who do you suppose they asked to help with that? And I have the privilege of renewing the vows of my own grandparents. Why? Because our God is a God of restoration. Amen. Let me tell you about my Auntie Helen. She was like the black sheep of the family. She was the one that was the most stubborn. When I first became a Christian, she would try to argue with me and say I'm brainwashed. And, and she was a relativist, a pluralist. She didn't believe in absolutes. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me, she would say. What's right for you may not be to each his own. And because she didn't see that there were more absolutes, she didn't recognize her sin, she didn't see a need of a Savior. And so finally, I decided to stop talking and stop trying to witness to her. She wasn't listening. I decided to just shut my mouth and let my life do the talking and pray. And about 14 years went by praying for Auntie Helen, praying and praying and just trying to live a consistent, godly life in front of her. 14 years goes by, and then she finally came to our meetings, this time with an open heart and a searching mind. And you can see her at the meeting with the conviction on her face, the longing in her eyes. You know what was happening? She was recognizing the eternal space. She was seeing that, man, all the things that she was involved with wasn't filling that eternal space. And finally, she came to Jesus, and she was baptized. Amen? You see the difference? That's what Jesus can do, friends. And you know, now she's the church clerk. She's the one that counts how many people are in church every single Sabbath. <laughs> she also runs the, 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 the PA as well. She's the church clerk, and she's the one that runs the PA. Can you, can you imagine that? And when she was baptized, she came out of the water. My grandfather was there to greet her on the beach. Here's the picture. My grandfather embracing my Auntie Helen. You know what Grandpa said? When Auntie Helen came out of the water, Grandpa said, Helen, my daughter, you are now my sister. <laughs> because the blood of Jesus connects father and daughter as brother and sister in Christ. God says, I'll restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. We live in a broken world and we are broken people. 
But God can restore. No matter how messed up we are in the mind, he can restore. Amen. Oh, there's a lot more I can say. But as we turn to God's word tonight, as we share the final message, the question is, how can you have a new beginning? Well, the Bible tells us in John 3, verse 5, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. If we want to enter into the kingdom, Jesus said, we must be born again of two things, water and the Spirit. Water is the outward expression. Being born of the Spirit is the inward experience. The inward and the outward experience is important. My friends, being born of the Spirit is something we need to experience day by day as the Lord Jesus lives in, his, in our hearts. Being born again of the water is that decision for baptism. Jesus, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says not everyone who wants to go to heaven is going. Those who engage in these things will not enter into the kingdom. But then Paul said, and such were some of you, that's past tense. You were like this. This is how your life used to be. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, that's the life we used to live. But the Lord doesn't hold that against us because he washes us. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it happens day by day. Friends, we need to die to our past, die to those old habits and that old way of thinking. How do we die to our past? Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but who? Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. This, my friends, is an inward experience, dying to self and living for Christ. It's an experience we need to have day by day because self wants to live day by day. Therefore, self must be crucified day by day. You see, friends, in order for us to live eternally, we must first die internally and that is the work of the spirit it's not something that we can do in and of ourselves the carnal heart the sinful nature is, is strong and it's well and only jesus can conquer that nature the question is what is the outward expression of this inward daily experience it's being born of the water it's being baptized the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Into his death. Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what kind of life? My friends, in order for us to have a new beginning, a new life, we must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit and born of the water. And the Bible says that when we're baptized, we're baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. We die to self. And we're now living for the Lord Jesus. It is an outward expression of an inward experience. Listen, friends, the outward expression only has meaning and significance when we have the inward experience. But when we have that inner experience, that outward expression is beautiful. 
It's a public ceremony, kind of like marriage, getting married to Christ. You know, when a man and a woman love each other, they have a wedding. And what is a wedding? It's an outward expression of their inward commitment. They're not ashamed of that commitment. They want their family, their friends, their loved ones to know that they're committed to each other. And that's what happens at baptism. We're getting married to Christ. We're telling the devil, I'm thrilled with you. I'm not flirting with you anymore. I belong to Jesus. It's a beautiful experience, friends. Bible says in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Just like a wife takes upon herself the name of her husband at marriage, so too the person that's baptized takes upon themselves the name of Christ. They become a Christian. That's how we become followers of Jesus. How important is this ceremony? Is it important? Well, according to Jesus, yes. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Jesus said we got to believe, yes, but we also have to follow it, follow it up with baptism. Baptism is the outward expression of that inward belief. And according to Jesus, both are essential for salvation. Baptism is so important. It's mentioned so many times in the New Testament. So important that Jesus in Matthew 3 was baptized, not because he had a sinful past to repent of, but simply to give us an example for us to follow. That's what began his public ministry. He received a special anointing of the Holy Spirit and the assurance that he was pleasing the Father in heaven. And when we follow the footsteps of Jesus in getting baptized, that is the beginning of our public ministry as witnesses for the Lord. We also receive a special infilling of the Holy Spirit, power to live a life that's pleasing to God, and we receive the joy of knowing that all our sins are washed away. The past is past, and we're pleasing the Father in heaven, the one that we've caused so much pain in our past. My friends, baptism is a beautiful experience that every true follower and believer of Jesus must have in order to be saved. In fact, how many of you were baptized before? Can I see your hands? So you know what I'm talking about. But listen, friends, for every truth that God has, Satan has a counterfeit, including the truth of baptism. You see, there are many different methods of baptism being practiced in the world today. Many different methods. Some of them are baptism by pouring water over a person's head or sprinkling water drops, usually on babies. I even heard of rose petal baptism. You know, they get creative. Rose petals, oil baptism, uh, snow baptism. You folks can do that in, in Washington. Some, maybe somebody do that. Snow baptism. I even heard of a pastor that took some of his people to the local fire station, asked the firemen to hose them down, and then pronounced them baptized. <laughs> Many different methods of baptism being practiced. But which one is biblical? Which one is the correct? And does it make a difference how one is baptized? Yes. Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 5, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now that doesn't mean you can only be baptized once. Not talking about the quantity, but rather the quality of baptism. There are individuals in the Bible who are baptized twice. So when it says one baptism, there's only one real baptism, one real method of baptism. And which one is it? It's not sprinkling or pouring or rose petal or oil or fire hose or snow. The only method of baptism in the Bible is baptism by immersion. That's what the word baptism means. To be immersed, to dip, to be plunged under the water. And the reason why that ceremony is significant is because the symbolism is a burial. You're buried in the watery grave. Your eyes are closed. Your hands are folded. You don't, you're not breathing. It's a symbol of death. You're dying to the old way of living, the old way of thinking. You're dying to your past. That's what happens when you go under the water. 
And then when you come up out of the water, it's like a resurrection. You're resurrecting from the watery grave to a new life. And when you take your first breath, it's like a baby being born, taking its first breath. It's the symbol is so meaningful. And so if you're baptized by sprinkling or pouring or a fire hose, that doesn't count, friends. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not how Jesus was baptized. We ought to be baptized like how Jesus was. And so when did these other methods come into existence? Well, history tells us that it wasn't until the Council of Ravenna in the year 1311 A.D. that sprinkling and pouring were officially accepted as equally valid as immersion in the rite of baptism. It was the Church of the Middle Ages that made this decision. During that time, they started to baptize infants and little babies. Never before in the early church or in the Bible was this ever practiced. The Bible gives us the example of baby or child dedication. Children are dedicated to the Lord, not baptized. You see, Jesus was dedicated as an infant, but he was baptized later on. And so if you're baptized as a baby, that doesn't count in God's sight because it wasn't your decision. That was your parents' decision. But God wants us to make our own personal decision for him. Amen? And so the next question is this. How do you know when you're ready for baptism? A baby's not ready because a baby can't choose that, make that decision for themselves. So when is a child ready? When is an individual ready? Well, the Bible teaches that there are three steps. How many? That a person ought to take inwardly before they're ready for the outward step of baptism. These three inward steps makes the outward commitment of baptism sacred meaningful and significant i want to share with them with you very quickly step number one write it down is we got to learn the truths of the bible baptism is not an emotional decision of a moment it ought to be an intellectual decision based on something more solid sturdy and stable than a fleeting emotion and that my friends is the word of god we must learn the teachings of the bible jesus said it like this in matthew 28 19 and 20 jesus said go ye therefore and what teach all nations then what baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit then what teaching them to observe all things that i've commanded you so notice the sequence jesus said go teach then baptize then teach them all things which shows that we must be taught before we're baptized but we don't have to wait till we are taught everything because obviously after we're baptized we're going to be taught some more but we ought to at least know the most important things, the principles, the foundational teachings of the Bible. Because baptism is like marriage. You see, before you marry someone, you ought to know enough about that person to know that it's the right decision, right? But does that mean that you're going to know everything about that person before you marry them? No, because after you get married, you get some surprises, isn't that right? <laughs> so you don't have to wait for years before you know, have a perfect understanding. That will never happen. We're going to learn for all eternity. But before we're baptized, we ought to know the most important things, the foundational, essential teachings of the biblical faith. So that when we're baptized, our decision is based upon the solid rock of the word of God. Feelings go up and down like a roller coaster. But God's word is stable. It's a solid rock. And thus, our decision must be based upon the word. If it's based on, a, on an emotion, when the emotion wears off, so does our commitment wear off. So step number one is very important. Bible studies. Learn the essentials. But not only that, step number two, equally important, we got to believe with all our hearts. It's much more than intellectual knowledge. It's a hard experience 
with Jesus. We got to believe with awe of our hearts. What does it mean to believe? Allow me to illustrate it with this story. How many of you know which waterfall this is? Which what water? That's Niagara Falls. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Isn't it spectacular? Oh, it's an amazing place. I was there a few years ago, took these videos and pictures and whatnot. But there's a story that comes from Niagara Falls that's absolutely mind-blowing. A story about a tightrope walker that walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Crazy guy. And he did it over and over. Now, there's no net to catch him. If he falls, it's certain death. But this tightrope walker, his name was Charles Blondin. What was his name? And he did it over and over again, walking across a tightrope. He's in the New Guinness Book of World Records, first one to do it. And he was about to do it again one day. A great crowd gathered where he was. And there was a man in the crowd that said, Mr. Blondin, why don't you take someone with you across the falls? Blondin said, you believe I can do that? And the man said, yes, I believe you can do it. Sure, you can do it. I mean, you've done it so many times. Surely you can take someone with you on your back across the falls. You really believe? Yes, I believe. He said, okay, get on my back and we'll try it. And the man quickly disappeared in the crowd. He said he believed, but talk is cheap. He didn't really believe. But about a year later, he, Charles Blondin took someone, carried someone on his back across the falls. And that man that got on his back demonstrates what it means to believe with all the heart. Because in getting on his back, he was demonstrating complete faith, complete trust. He's basically putting his life in the hands of another person. And in doing so, he was saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. I don't have the ability to get across the falls, but I believe that you do. And so I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm putting everything in your hands. I'm trusting that, that you will be able to carry me safely to the other side, and you will not fall. And the only thing I can do, I can't help you get across the falls. The only thing I'm going to do is hang on. I don't have the ability, but you do, so I'm going to hang on to the one that has the ability. That's what it means to believe in God with all our hearts. It's a willingness to get on the back of God and allow God to carry us across the type of a life, knowing that he will never fall, he will never fail, and he is strong enough to carry us safely to the other side. Can you say amen? It's saying to God, Lord, I'm putting my life in your hands now. I'm putting everything in your hands. I'm trusting you with my finances. I'm trusting you with my marriage, with my children, with my health. I'm putting it in your hands. Now, our belief is not perfect. Our belief is weak, but it's a willingness to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to prove yourself to me, prove that you are strong and that you will carry me through. That's what it means to believe with all our hearts. It's more than intellectual understanding of a bunch of doctrines. It's trusting God with your life. Amen. How many of you believe but we know our prayer ought to be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And day by day, as we put our life in God's hands, our belief gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we see him carrying us through the difficulties of life. To believe is to rest our life fully on Christ and the sufficiency of his word. Not your strength, your abilities, but Christ and Christ alone. That's the second step. Now the third step is repentance. Repentance means to change your course, to turn around, to change your way of thinking and thus change the way you live. And my friends, this is not something we can do, but it's a gift of God. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repent. What is repentance? Here's repentance. Watch me closely. If I'm walking this direction and it's the wrong direction, I'm going to be lost. If I continue to do my own thing and live my own life and chase the world, I'm on my way to hell if I keep going this way. And so what I need to do in order to be saved, I need to repent. Someone say repent. I've just repented. Now I'm going the opposite direction. 
I'm taking steps to Christ. I'm going to church now. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. I'm surrounding myself with spiritual people. I'm on my way to heaven and on my way there. I might stumble and fall and make a mistake. Because repentance is not a promise. You'll never fall. You'll fall. But at least I'm not going to stay down and I'm not going to get up and run back to the world. No, I fall, but I fall on the mercy of God. And God picks me up and I keep moving forward by faith. Repentance is not a promise you'll never fall, but it's a commitment that when you do fall, fall on Jesus. Fall on the rock and let the human nature be broken. And then let God, as our faithful father, pick you up, dust you off, and give you strength to move forward by faith. Amen. Now, what enables us to do that? What enables us to turn from the world that we so naturally love and turn to the God that we so naturally despise? It's not the fear of hell, and it's not the reward of heaven. It's the goodness of God. And friends, the greatest demonstration of the goodness of God is the cross. The cross. What Jesus did for us on the cross, my friends, enables us to repent. You know why? Because when you look at the cross, listen, listen, listen. You see at the cross the two most powerful forces in the universe clashing. The power of sin and the power of love. When you look at the cross, you see sin for what it really is. You see what sin caused. And you recognize that our sin, we were the ones that nailed Jesus to the cross by our foolish choices. And so when you look at the cross, you see, man, my sin caused that. Sin is ugly, it's bloody, it's gruesome, it's painful. For the wages of sin is death. You know, we look at sin as something that's so much fun. It's so appealing and attractive. But the cross shows us the true character of sin. It is terrible. And when you see the cross, you see your sin. You want to turn from it. But at the same time at the cross... You see the beauty of love. You see a God that looks into the eyes of his murderers and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see a God that lays down his life for those who hated him. And this love that is so foreign to human nature, so beautiful and wonderful. At the same time, you're drawn to that love. My friends, if you're serving God because you're afraid of the fire, you're going to stop serving God soon. Because the fear of hell and the reward of heaven is not strong enough to keep you with Jesus. The only thing that's strong enough is the cross. Is recognizing the true character of your sin and the true character of your Christ. And that repentance grows day by day. Amen. How many are thankful for the cross? And so when we've experienced this inwardly, we learn the essential teachings of the Bible. And as a result, we learn to trust God, believing in him with all our hearts. And as a result of that trust in God, that belief, we want to turn from the world and turn to Jesus. When we've experienced that inwardly, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now the next step is outward expression of baptism. Listen, friends, the water doesn't change. We don't put Clorox in the water to clean people. It's a symbol of what the Holy Spirit has been doing in our hearts. Amen? Now, should a person ever get rebaptized? There are different reasons why... People, God calls at times to get rebaptized. One of those reasons is if your previous baptism was different from what the Bible taught. The Bible teaches in baptism by immersion when we experience these three things. If you're baptized by sprinkling or pouring, doesn't count, friends. Doesn't have the same symbol. So you ought to be baptized like how Jesus was by immersion. You can call that a rebaptism, but really it's the first real baptism. Another reason is if you're baptized as an infant. 
because it wasn't your decision. It was your parents' decision. It doesn't count in God's sight. We need to make our own decision. So if you're baptized as an infant, you ought to get rebaptized. Well, really, that's the first real baptism. Or if you didn't know what you were doing, maybe you were baptized in the past. You weren't an infant and you made that decision for yourself, but you really didn't understand what it means to learn and believe and repent. And maybe you did it because others were doing it. Maybe you were just going through the motions or you're pressured by somebody and you went through it. But now you've come to a greater understanding of what baptism means and how it's a surrender to Jesus. Rebaptism is meaningful when you come to that point. Another reason is if you're coming back to Christ. There are individuals who were baptized in the past, but since then their commitment has cooled down and their hearts have grown cold and they've left God, they've left the church perhaps, walked away from God openly and publicly, but now they're coming back to the Lord. They're experiencing a revival in their lives and now they want to go all the way with Jesus and let those past things be past. Rebaptism is beautiful. Many people made, make that decision based on that. Now, friends, that doesn't mean you're going to get baptized every time you fall. There's foot washing. That's a mini baptism. But if you've walked away from God openly and publicly and for a long period of time, and now you're coming back, rebaptism is beautiful. And if there's someone here tonight like that, please make that decision in Jesus' name. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered away. There's plenty room at the Father's table of blessing for even the prodigal that is straight away. Amen. Another reason why people sometimes get rebaptized is if they've learned new truth. Not some minor issue, but a, a major truth, something that they never heard before that has completely revitalized and changed and transformed their relationship with God. And here's the biblical precedent. In Acts 19, verse 2 to 5, we're almost finished. It says, did, uh, this is Paul speaking to John's disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So here is a group of believers Paul was speaking to that did not hear a major teaching of God. They did not hear a major truth. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? So these were baptized believers. They said into John's baptism. Now was John's baptism legitimate baptism? Yes or no? Yes, it was by immersion. That's how Jesus was baptized. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard new truth they never heard before. When they heard this, they were what? Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But friends, this is their, their second baptism. And they were baptized or rebaptized, not because they fell away, not because uh, they... they the first one was illegitimate they were baptized the second time because they had learned a larger body of truth that was essential that affected their whole relationship with God and many people make a decision for rebaptism for the same reason they've learned new truth individuals who perhaps been going to church all their lives and they've been walking with the Lord they've been baptized and and they come to a seminar like this perhaps and they learn some things they never heard before and they understand more deeply what God's Word teaches they learned the truth about the seven-day Sabbath, and they recognized that, man, that's not a made minor thing. That's, that's something that God wrote with his own finger. That's, that's huge, and that affects everything. And as a result, they get rebaptized. 
They're not denying their former experience. They're simply taking the next step in the spiritual journey with the Lord. And friends, if that's you, you can make that decision tonight as well. You're simply saying, I've learned the larger body of truth, and I want to walk in all the truth that God has revealed to me. You're experiencing a reconversion, a renewal with the knowledge, and you want to walk in it. You want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And you know what happens when you're baptized? Several things. Every sin is forgiven washed away and you have the peace of that forgiveness the spirit ordains you to ministry and you're adopted into the family of god a body of bible believing commandment keeping faith walking spirit filled gospel preaching advent waiting people that love the lord a family of faith all around the world and friends it is a wonderful fellowship i remember when i held some meetings Years ago, and there was a couple that came to the meetings. They were not married. They were living together, but they were not married. They were living in a sinful situation. They received the invitation in the mail, and they came to the meetings, and, and they were learning the truth together, and they loved what they heard. They believed that at the end of the series, they wanted to be baptized, but they were not married, and they were living together. So you know what happened? We had a simple wedding ceremony. They loved each other. They had children together. But they never made it official. They never sealed the deal in the eyes of God. And so at that last Sabbath, we had a simple wedding ceremony. They were dressed in their wedding garments. They exchanged their vows one to another. Then after that, they went into the back room and they took off their wedding garments and they clothed themselves in their baptismal garments. And here are they getting baptized together. And you can see, friends, the joy on their face, the happiness. That's what Jesus does. And you know, I had to get some of that. <laughs> they made it right in God's sight. And there was so much joy and peace. Oh, my friends, as we get ready to close tonight, do you need a new beginning? Maybe, friends, you've never understood the importance or meaning of baptism, but now you do. And you feel God calling you to this new start. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to be baptized, but tonight we want to give you that opportunity to make that decision. Maybe you were baptized, but you've turned away, and you want to come back home to God. You've, or perhaps you've learned new truth. Now you want to say, Lord, I want to walk in that truth and seal it with the rebaptism. My friends, remember, baptism does not mean that you're perfect. It means you're committed to he who is perfect. You're committed to Jesus. Jesus died for you. Will you live for him? You might stumble and fall. You may make mistakes. But he will pick you up. And he will teach you how to live a life of consistent faith. And so, friends, listen, as we close tonight, we can't just talk about baptism and new beginnings without giving people a wonderful opportunity to decide and we want to do that right now my friend Taylor is going to sing a song and at this time I want to invite the ushers to pass out this response card I want to give you friend an opportunity to respond to Jesus publicly what he has done for you in your heart tonight and so as the ushers pass out this card don't fill it out yet we're going to fill it out together we'll fill it out together but Taylor's going to come and sing this song. I invite you to listen carefully to the words of this song as the card is passed out. Please, everyone, take one, pass it down. It should be a card for everyone. Listen carefully. 
to the words of this song. I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to Would you raise your hand? If you do not have a card, 